Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. All right, welcome to Canvas Church, everybody. All right, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Canvas Church. I'm excited to uh, be with you guys today. Um, Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to finish uh, our series. It's the Hope series. We've been going through First and 2 Thessalonians. Um, so a little, little disclosure as you guys are turning there to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, my week's been kind of weird, too, as you just, my wife, uh, lovely wife, Mel, who's up here, uh, she describes some things we've been going through. This week I had a, a neck injury, so I have, like, very limited range of motion. So if I, it seems like I'm, like, preaching like Mr. Roboto, uh, don't, be just, don't be surprised and don't think less of me. I've been really grouchy all week. How many of you know if you, like, you know, get an injury or, like, you get the sniffles or something, it, like, affects your spirit too, you know? Is that just me? I've been, like, super grouchy all week. My wife's been so patient. She's been amazing. But she did make fun of me a little bit too. Um, so Second Thessalonians... We are finishing this series on hope from uh, First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to be starting a, uh, a new series coming up next week on the 7th, so, uh, so come, it's going to be an awesome one, and, uh, but, but yeah, if you have anyone uh, that you know lives up north um, or, uh, or otherwise, yeah, invite them out next week for this campus, or if they can make it to a North County campus, it's going to be an awesome time, a great celebration, and we're really excited about the growth that's taking place in our church. Uh, here and in North County. It's going to be really taking off here in the coming months. So, so pray for that campus. Pray for our leadership. Pray for our pastors. Uh, pastor Ben, Ben Brinkman, he is the, uh, the lead pastor of the church, and he's up north uh, this, uh, this morning, uh, kind of preparing for our launch next week. And so you all get to, uh, get to hear me today. Uh, but if you haven't met Pastor Ben, if you're new here, uh, be, sure to, uh, be sure to come back uh, in the coming weeks to meet him or uh, up north next weekend. So we're going to read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the last chapter in those, uh, in those letters um, from the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. I used to call it Thessalonica. I guess that's wrong. All right, chapter 3. I'm going to read through the whole, uh, that whole chapter real quick. So uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. Say that with me. Say, the Lord is faithful. I love that. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. No work, no eat. That's the rule. 
<laughs> For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace give himself, or I'm sorry, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, uh, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for this letter that's lasted for thousands of years so that we could read it today and understand who you are, that we can understand the, the purposes you have for us, that we could have hope in you, God, and know how to live, to please you, and to see the fruits of your blessing over our lives. So, God, I pray that you would speak clearly through me and that you would heal my neck and that you would help everyone here to understand your will and your Holy Spirit would be here, Lord, and speak to everyone's hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. So, I, uh, as you guys met my, uh, my wife, uh, Pastor Mel, um, I've also got three amazing children. And uh, if you follow us on Facebook, that's all you're going to get. It's just pictures of the kids, the kids, the kids. It's all we, all, we, all we post. So if you don't like that, if that annoys you, if you're not a parent and you don't understand that, then just don't follow us. Uh, but, but our kids are amazing. Uh, my oldest daughter, in fact, the three, the three kids we have, my, my wife... Uh, she, she categorized them very well. She says they are uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Alvin, Simon, Theodore. And uh, my oldest daughter is Simon. She's very like level-headed, a little bit dry, studious, and, and she's, she's uh, like the best oldest child you could ask for, like obeys the rules and she helps out. She's awesome. Um, and then, of course, Bishop, he's more the Alvin, the troublemaker, the daredevil, you know, and he's a little bit crazier. But he's a boy, and I love it. It's fun. And then PJ, my littlest one, she just turned three, or I'm sorry, will turn three tomorrow. Uh, she's definitely like the, the little cuddly, just super happy, goofy one, and, and she's just a lot of fun. So, but my oldest one now, she's, she's going to be turning nine in December, and uh, it's crazy how time flies. I've been married for, for 10 years uh, and it, every year just keeps getting better. And my daughter is uh, going to be turning nine soon. And, uh, and, and so it's really weird to see her like speaking more adult-like and saying things and picking up things in movies or from her friends. And uh, I, I come home sometimes in the evening and, and uh, you know, try to get the kids in bed. And she'll, you know, she'll goof off with me and she'll try to like jump on me and hang on my neck and I wonder why it hurts. And uh, and she'll, you know, she'll say certain things and try to resist going to bed. And, and, she, and she knows that, that her dad loves her and is a little bit of a softie, right? And so my wife, she noticed, you know, when she rolls her eyes at me or she'll say something kind of funny or, or goofy, my wife says, she's like, Brandon, she doesn't do that with me. Like, she can push you because she knows that you don't put your foot down like, my, like I do. And I thought about it. I was like, yeah, that might be true. I'm, I'm a little bit of a softie when it comes to my girls, and I know that I need to be a little more strict and firm, but they're just so adorable, and it's like daddy's little girls. And now my son, on the other hand, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely more strict with him. You know, he falls down. I'm like, I don't see any blood. Get up. <laughs> you know, so he goes to mom for maternal comfort, and, you know, I push him back down. I'm like, toughen up, kid. <laughs> so I, I'm a little harder on my boy, but my girls, I'm, I'm a softie. I, I am. And so... 
But my daughter, she, with me, she, she knows how to behave because she knows what I allow. She knows my expectations. She knows my character. She knows what I permit, things that I do put my foot down on, things that I don't. Bedtime, I don't so much. But because she knows who I am, she knows how I interact with her, she knows my expectations, my standards, my character, that determines how she behaves around me. Because she knows that, well, you know, if I, if I ask for this, dad will give it to me. Or, you know, if I, you know, if I don't go to bed right on time, it's not a big deal, dad doesn't care. Because she knows how I interact with her. She knows my expectations and, and my character, and she knows, you know, morals and lines. She knows there's a, a firm line that I will, I will draw. But I notice the same thing is true of life with us and our Heavenly Father. When we know his character, his expectations, when we know who he is and what he expects of us, that determines how we act. That determines our life. That determines the, what we put out in life and what we do behind closed doors and how we treat people. When we know what God values, it changes our values. And when we know who he's created us to be and what he expects of us, it changes how we behave and who we become. I truly believe this, that what you believe about God in his identity and his character, and from that, what you believe about yourself in your own identity and your own character, I believe those two things, what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself, will shape your entire life. It will shape your entire life how you treat others based on how does God think about that person and about me. And the, the challenge is that we're bombarded with family and cultures and friends that will, will tell us maybe something different than what is the truth, than what's the truth of, of God's word and what he says about us. That's why it's so critical when we finally come to an understanding of who God is that we learn, God, who are you? God, who am I? Why am I here? What was I created for? Because when you begin to understand that, it shapes your whole life. You've heard the story before about my wife when she gave her life to Jesus. She wasn't raised in church, nor was, was I. But it came through one question in college, a, a, a philosophy teacher put on the board, and not a Christian, but posed the question to the philosophy class. If you knew there was a God, would your life look different? Or would you change the way you live? And a lot of people in the class said, no, no, I, I don't care. But my wife, who I believe looked at the question out of sincerity, and I think if anyone really does ask that question honestly, answer that question honestly, I think that they will answer the same way. They would say, yeah, if I knew God existed, I would change the way I live, absolutely. I would want to know who God was and, and what he wanted from me and what his expectations were and what's the role he plays in my life. I think if anyone really genuinely answers that question, they'd believe the same thing. If there really was a God, who is he? I want to know. It's kind of important, don't you think? But we know, we know who God is, we know what the things he wants from us, but, but I've been a Christian for 15 years now, and I'm still learning more about God, I'm still learning about his character, I'm still coming to the realization that I can know things academically, but not really know them inside. Does that make sense? And so I want to tell you a little bit about what God's been revealing to me about his character through his word, through my experiences, test everything by the word, of course, but... What I want to dive into here in this, in this chapter, we're on the series on hope. And I, I, I look at, you know, in, in trying times in my life, marital stuff, work stuff, financial stuff, health stuff, whatever, every challenge I've ever been through, looking back, I realize is a test 
what do I believe about God? In this moment that I'm going through this trial, what do I really believe about God? And I can look back at those trials, and I can list off a lot of my failed. Because I look back and said, man, that decision was really made out of fear. And in the moment, I didn't really believe that, that God was my provider. I can look back and say that, man, in this moment, I didn't really believe that God was for me. I can look back at decisions I've made and, and realize that, man, I didn't really, truly believe that I was forgiven. Because I see the results in my actions. What you believe will play out in your actions and in your life. So let's look and dive into God's character here. Because what you believe about him will shape your entire life. As we read through the scripture here, verse 3, I love it, this. He's talking about being preserved from evil men and the persecution they're suffering as church. And I know some of you go through that as well. It says, not all men have faith, but verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Say that one more time with me. Say the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Now, when we talk about faithful, you can look at that and say, well, he's, he's full of faith. He believes for good things, right? I'm thinking faith is in the faith of miracles, but that's not the type of faithful that that they're talking about here. The faithful that we read here is more in line with the way a spouse is faithful to their betrothed, to their spouse. This is so interesting to me that you think about a faithful spouse and that this, this uh, analogy is throughout the Bible. As, as God uh, spoke about Israel, his people in the Old Testament, he would call them his, his wife. Israel is, is like in the New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ. And we see that imagery all throughout the Bible. And so as we look at this, it says, the Lord is faithful. We see throughout history how unfaithful we can be as his people. And, and this has been true for, for history, for all of the history of God's people from, from Adam and Eve all the way till now. The Lord is faithful. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. There was a prophet, you can read the book of uh, Hosea, in the, uh, uh, this prophet, God called prophets to speak to the people on his behalf. And there's this prophet, Hosea, who spoke to the people, and, and God told Hosea, he goes, I want you to marry a woman of whoredom, is the word. Of whoredom. If you don't know what that word comes from, uh, maybe I shouldn't say it. I don't know if I can say the word whore. Is that, can I say that at church? Okay, well, I said it. Anyway, that's where it comes from. He essentially said, I want you to go marry someone, a, a loose woman, a prostitute, and have children of whoredom. I mean, that, I mean can you, this is a man of God. This is a prophet, someone who spoke to the people on behalf of God. And, and this is who he called Hosea to be faithful to, a woman named Gomer. And, and it's, it's amazing the story that this woman who, who had lived this loose lifestyle, and, and I, don't know, there's no, I don't know the history of how she got there, and I'm not, I'm not judging her, but, but the, the story of how he loved her, had, had children with her, and she, she did not, she, she, it was meant to be an example of how Israel left God, left their worship of God to, to worship the Baals, worship other gods, false idols. And he wanted Hosea's love for his wife to be an example of how of how God loves his people, but they continually walk away from him. 
So much so that at one point, Hosea actually had to go out and find her and purchase her with money, with goods, as he would a prostitute, and bring her home and say, this is not for you. I want you with me. I want you to be devoted to me. And we would look at that, we would say, man, that's how I need to love people, like Hosea. Love them unconditionally, no matter how many times they sin against me. But so many stories we read about in the Bible, David and, and Moses, we say, man, I want to be like, that. I want to slay Goliath. I want to put down my staff and I want to part the waters and, and I want miracles to happen and we want to be these heroes. I want to love like Hosea, but I'm sorry to tell you that, that those heroes of the Bible, although yes, we should try to be like them, they are the, the, the type and shadows of Jesus. And, and what he's doing is giving an example of God's love, saying that you and I are Gomer. You and I are the ones that walk away day in, day out. And the New Testament later says that you were bought at a price, just like Gomer. Your life is not your own, not because you deserve to be loved so much. Gomer didn't deserve it, but because he is faithful because he is faithful. And this is where our hope comes from, by knowing that character. The hope from Thessalonians is that, that, that he is faithful even when we are not. I spoke to someone recently who was telling me all these great things that God was doing. Man, he's come through for this provision and opened this door in my business and, and all these great things are taking place and man, I'm so grateful for, for God who's taken care of me. And, and as, I, I, as I listened to the story, I thought, wow, that, that is God, that's amazing. Like, that's an amazing testimony. And I couldn't help but in the back of my mind think about this sin that I know is in their life. I don't know if they know, but I know it's there. And so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, God, how can you bless this? I know there's some pretty blatant sin in their life. And I spoke to my wife about that, and you know what I realized? That I still haven't worked out the character of God in my heart yet. There's part of me that still thinks I've got to work for it. There's part of me that still thinks that I've got to have my whole life together before God can bless me. That's not the truth. The truth is that he is faithful. The truth is that he is faithful. Now does that mean, of course, that we should go on sinning so that God can shower more grace over us? No, Romans 6, Paul addresses that as well so that we can get there in a different sermon. But no, we, we, don't, we don't continue to sin so that God's grace can be shown to us. But if we're convicted of sin, we need to obey God in that. But I need to learn that if I make a mistake, we're making decisions about our, my work and ministry and the kids' school and where do we live and financial decisions and, and all these things. And I'm so afraid to make a mistake and I need to learn that God is faithful. I don't have to worry and fret that, I'm, that God's going to turn away from me. It says he will never leave us or forsake us. And we need to learn that, that God is faithful. Amen? Yeah. Say it one more time. God is, God is faithful. His faith spurs our faith. Are you reflecting his faithfulness? Are you reflecting his faithfulness? Because of his faithfulness, we should be faithful. Not because we can earn his faithfulness and we try to earn it. He's already faithful. He's already earned, he should be earning our, our faith in him. He already has. And we go on from there. 
And uh, I love this in verse 5. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. The steadfastness of Christ. The Lord is steadfast. The Lord is steadfast. As he goes on here to the, uh, the idleness, I had, I had like a whole sermon written out that I wanted to beat up lazy people, but thank goodness my wife's more wise than I did, and you guys don't have to listen to that sermon. She pretty much writes all my sermons for me, so it's great. The Lord is steadfast, unwavering, steady, reliable, trustworthy. The Lord is steadfast. Throughout history, you see uh, the different facets of God. You know, if you look back at various stories, you can see God as a judge. You can see God as a, a loving father, as a creative creator. You can see God in, in all different elements. And, and some people look at that and they say, man, God seems like a cosmic schizophrenic. But God is steadfast. It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is steadfast. He is unchanging. And yes, there's different facets of God. And over time, we can look back and see the different elements. But I believe that, that humanity over the course of time has, has grown and progressed. There's, there's parts of the Old Testament that, that, that tell, the, uh, that tell the, the, the Israel people to, to not defecate in your camp, but go outside camp and bury it. Like, he had to tell them that at the time. I think humans have come a long way since then. And I think now after history with God, we can begin to see the different facets of God come together. This is just my opinion, that, that we can see, yes, God is a judge, and yes, God is a loving father, and yes, God is full of grace, but he does not, he does not look, uh, uh, you know, he, he does not allow sin. But, but that's why he, he sent Jesus to come, so that he wouldn't have to, and he could still be in our hearts and be one with us. But the Lord is unchanging. How many of you ever been around someone that was not steadfast? Maybe they were a little bit volatile. Moody, anyone? Anyone know anyone that's moody? Do not look at your spouse. Don't even look. Stop. Don't, I know you're thinking it. Keep your hand down. I've known people that are moody, and it is not my wife. But when you go into work, maybe, and there's that moody co-worker, you walk in, you're like, oh, man, how is he going to be today? Like, I hope he's in a good mood. I don't know what to expect. Right? You, you don't know. You've got to walk on eggshells because you're like, is it going to be a good day or is it going to be a bad day? I know some husbands that go home to that. Like, come home like, oh, man, Bob's open the door. I hope it's a good day for my wife today. Because they're not steadfast. They're not steady. There's not the stability of, of uh, but, but maybe, they're, uh, you know, maybe they are influenced by their circumstances and, and high and ups and down emotions. And we don't have to worry about that with God. He's not the cosmic schizophrenic that some people make him out to be. And I haven't always believed that. I haven't always trusted in God's steadfastness. When I make a mistake, all of a sudden, like, I'm, like, I'm, like he, I imagine that he's surprised that I made that decision. Like, I, I screwed up, and oh, man, God didn't see that coming. Now he's really angry. He knew it was coming. He knows me. From the beginning to the end, he knows me. He is steadfast even when I am not. And so it's important that we understand that character attribute, and that's what he wants to put in us, because he is steadfast. And, and in this uh, scripture here, after verse 5, there's a little division, in, in, for, in, the, in my Bible it reads, warning against idleness. But when Paul wrote this letter, those, uh, the little numbers next to your verses and the different chapters and the different divisions that you see sometimes in your Bible, the Apostle Paul didn't put those there. And so if we continue this where it says... 
The steadfastness of Christ, I don't think it's an accident that he moves into the idleness that he was talking about in that specific church body. Idleness, again, for people that, uh, in verse 13 it says, do not grow weary in doing good. Some people in that church were growing weary, saying, you know what, I'm done with this. Man, there's so many people living generously that I don't even need to work. I'll just live off the hospitality of the people. Well, Christ is coming back soon, so why we got to work so hard? And they, and they began to, to give up. Some people use, we use our faith as an excuse, an excuse to sin. Or they say, you know, like, oh, well, you know, my finances aren't in order, but, you know, I'm just going to trust God. God will work it out. Open the mailbox and, oh, not today. Maybe tomorrow he'll work it out. But do not grow weary in doing good. God's standards are steadfast. Do not be idle. Don't let your faith be an excuse to, to, to not work hard. Are you reflecting God's steadfastness in your marriage? Or do we get complacent and stop working? Can I say I'm guilty of that? <laughs> My wife can attest. I, I will get off, on the wagon, off the wagon, and pursue her and love her, and then get busy or tired or hurt my neck, and just, it's all about me, it's all about me. But are we steadfast in our marriage? Are we steadfast in the workplace? Do you put in six months and then be like, you know what, I've got promoted, I'm out, and you go on to something else? Are you trustworthy and reliable in the workplace to your children? Are they afraid to come to you because they don't know if you're going to be volatile or you're going to be patient with them because they, they don't know with you? God has the ability to put his steadfastness in you. And that's the, the character that we want to reflect in our lives. And that's the hope we can have in his character in us. Amen? And then in verse 16... I love this. The benediction at the end here says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at some times and in some ways. Oh, what? Oh, sorry. I, I can't bend my head down, so I, I was just, I, how hard time reading it. Let me try that again. I'll lift it up. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at, oh, oh, at all times and in every way. Oh, that's weird. All... Man, Paul didn't have kids. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, yeah. He obviously didn't have a boss, you know what I'm saying? Because peace at all times, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, wait, maybe he does. Maybe peace isn't determined by our circumstances. Could that be? No, no, that can't be. Maybe I can manufacture peace by creating a certain income or by getting rid of my debt or maybe I can create peace by, by keeping my kids in a box. Or is it possible that, that God's definition of peace and our definition are different? Is it possible that peace isn't determined by our circumstances? May God grant you peace at all times and in every way. I love that in Philippians 4.8, it says that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. That's crazy to me. The peace of God, not peace like the world gives, because even in John 14.27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, neither let them be afraid. So that, that correlates with Philippians 4 eight. The peace of God surpasses all understanding, not as the world gives. What's the peace of the world? The peace of the world is, is, is a few glasses of wine every night. 
The, the peace of the world is a clean house and, and a vacation that you're three times a year. I mean, the, the peace of the world is, is, is good smelling laundry. On, on, it's San Diego beaches. That's peace, right? It's, it's something that you go to. It's a place. It's a circumstance. It's a situation. Peace in the world's eyes is something that's outward that we hope we can absorb through osmosis. But the peace of God surpasses all understanding. I don't expect you to understand it. I don't understand it. But in the midst of your crazy kids, in the midst of your stressful job, in the midst of your conflict in your marriage, in the midst of all that, there is peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace. I don't know if you guys know this, but the reason Jesus died is so that all of our sins can be forgiven and that he could make his home in us. That he could dwell in us and live through us from the inside out. That's what he's wanted this whole time is intimacy that for thousands of years could never be had until Jesus came and allowed the Holy Spirit to live in us because all of our sins are washed away. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, to, to deserve it. All the sins that you, that, you, that you committed this morning, yesterday, and past, all the ones you will do in the future, yes, you will keep sinning. I promise you. They're all forgiven. Every one of them. Every one of them. So that God can put his spirit in you and lead you and guide you and, yes, convict you of sins. So you can begin to become more like him, but hear his voice, have his character, and begin to live a life that's fulfilling, that's satisfying, that's, that's adventurous. Yes, he may call you to do ridiculous things. He may call you to do challenging things. I'm not saying it's an easy life. It's a very challenging life. But in the midst of it, there's a supernatural peace that we can't understand. There's a supernatural peace and joy that, that can only be had by God living in us. And so these character attributes that we're talking about, the Lord, he is faithful, he is steadfast, and the Lord is peace. Does your life reflect his peace? Because it can. It can. And it should. And if you don't have that peace, then we're going to have a prayer team up here in a little bit, and they, they will pray with you. They will pray for you. I'm going to close here in a minute, but first, I, I want to redefine this hope that we find in Thessalonians and throughout the whole Bible. The hope that we have is, is in Christ. It's in his character that no matter what, he is faithful. His love is steadfast for us, and the peace that he gives, he gives from the inside out. That we don't have to worry about the circumstances we live in. We don't have to change anything. We can have peace and then let our circumstances be reflected from that peace. From our peace, let our kids operate in peace. From our peace, let our marriage thrive. Let's excel in the workplace because of the character that God's put in us, amen? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for your character. Lord, thank you so much, God, for uh, for your faithfulness, for your steadfastness, for your peace. And God, I thank you, Lord, for the hope that you give us, God, not in ourselves, not in what we can do, God, but in our weakness, Lord, your strength is made perfect. And all you want from us, God, is just to confess that we can't do it on our own. And Lord, you want us to come in and to, 
and to and you want to live through us, God. And so I pray right now for all of us, Lord, for myself and for everyone here, God, and as they hear my voice, Lord, that you would begin to help them surrender to you. Help me, God, to understand the truth of your character. Help me to not just know it on an academic level that God's faithful, but in those times of trial, let me remember that God is not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to give up on me. Lord, I pray for everyone here right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to, to understand your character and to surrender to you that you can put that within us, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.